Hello everybody, today we're going to be talking about abortion, everything from the pro-life side, the pro-choice side, annoying illogical arguments, and the biblical aspects you need to help form a conclusive and legitimate opinion about this very hot topic. We'll also examine the Alabama and Georgia pro-life bill and uh, those, pro those pro-life bills that uh, were recently passed and the hopefully positive repercussions this will have. I am your host, Benjamin Tankersley, and this is the New Thought Project. Welcome back to episode four of the New Thought Project. Like I said, we'll be discussing abortion today, and as always, please, please, please contact me if you disagree with me uh, so we can have a polite discussion and hopefully find some common ground. I'll be breaking abortion down into three separate episodes, hopefully uh, one with a guest and two others uh, because there's just way too much to talk about. It's just too much to cram into one episode, uh, and I really want to give you guys the best quality uh, per episode. I would also like to say that I'm not judging anyone in this podcast. My intention is not to tear anyone down. I am simply and sincerely conveying my personal viewpoints, so please keep that in mind as you listen. I personally believe that women who have had abortions can find forgiveness at the cross, like all Christians do. I, I don't believe that the, the goal of, pro, of the pro-life movement is to control women. That is, that is certainly not the case. That doesn't make sense either, because uh, why are there so many women who are pro-life if, if the argument is to control what women do with their bodies? That doesn't make sense. So the first thing I would like to do is uh, discuss uh, a really stupid, I, I have to say stupid, because it is stupid. Um, it, it's, it's a stupid uh, motto, I guess, that I've heard very recently. I've heard it for a long time, but it, it recycles and it comes back up um, you know, every so often when we talk about abortion. And uh, that motto is, no uterus, no opinion. <laughs> um, if you can even call that an argument, uh, which is why I said motto. So I'm going to dive right into it. Number one, to say no uterus, no opinion means that men cannot and should not express their opinion on abortion. Essentially, this means several things when you dive into it. <clears throat> it means that women who use this argument typically overlook the very simple question, well, what about men who support abortion? What about the men who agree with you? I can't tell you how many times I have seen over social media women shouting me down because I don't possess female reproductive organs and immediately turn around and praise a male for his pro-abortion post. I don't understand that because when you're, you're telling me this motto, no uterus, no opinion, why do you then validate the opinions of a man? It's really on the sole basis of whether or not you agree with that person or not. Uh, the bottom line is be consistent. If your motto is no uterus, no opinion, be consistent with that. Shout down the men who disagree and agree with you. Otherwise, you're a fraud. That's, that's honestly the bottom line. You haven't thought this through. There are so many aspects to, um, to this motto that, that don't fit. And really, this is a, a symbol of, of the left as a whole. They have all these arguments that they haven't really thought through. And so that's why it's so difficult actually arguing with these people, actually trying to have a civil discussion with these people, because they might sound smart at the beginning, but then they'll throw out something like, no, you no opinion, and you can't even argue with that. This is a call to answer reason with volume, is my second point. Um, instead of engaging in friendly debate or civil discussion, this childish motto creates a situation wherein they've invented a scenario to, quote, win the argument, as it were, by shouting over you and telling you that your opinion is invalid because of your sex. Um, so again, not only is it a flawed argument, but it's, it's a very, it's a terrible argument as well. It's a terrible motto to use because 
essentially they just use volume. If you can just shout down the other person, if you can drown the other person out, well then you've won the argument by their standards. And so when they do attack you with mottos such as this, you are being hit uh, with something that you really can't respond to um, on a legitimate platform with a legitimate argument. And even if you did get a word in, they would just drown you out. And that's why you, when you see these videos of pro-choice protests or things like that, they'll be chanting and shouting and, and protesting, <laughs> right? I mean, you see pro-life protests, but you, you don't really see this, the, the volume heightened. And um, it's very difficult to argue with somebody when they're shouting in your face. Um, and this just leads to another issue with this horrendous and infantile chant. Uh, it is ultimately sexist. Um, when you say to somebody, no uterus, no opinion, what you're saying to them is, because you're a man, you, y your opinion about this, however educated, however educated, you could be the doctor who has performed many abortions and who has been uh, around the industry and has gone to medical school. It doesn't matter. If you're a man, at the end of the day, your opinion is not valid. That is an extremely sexist thing to propagate. Uh, men can't have an opinion on abortion because they're men. In which case, this presents a bigger issue for these screaming morons because all of a sudden, male doctors, like I just said, you take that to a further step, they can't perform abortions. So, ironically, when you're shouting, no uterus, no opinion, what you're shouting for is for, essentially, the end of abortion. Because, follow this to, this to its logical conclusion. Male doctors cannot perform abortions, male legislators cannot write or enforce pro-abortion laws, and they certainly cannot acknowledge Roe v. Wade as, a, as legitimate because the Supreme Court, at the time... Uh, of Roe v. Wade was made up of all men. So you, you run into a little problem when you, when you yell, no uterus, no opinion. Fine. Fine. Oh, that's okay. That means that abortion is illegal. That means uh, all abortion, all forms of abortion are illegal. That means that uh, if, if you wanted to get an abortion, you had better get it from a female doctor, which is going to prove a little bit more difficult than you might think. It can be done but it's still a little bit more difficult. And, um, and all the laws that have been passed to allow abortion now don't apply. So no uterus, no opinion, fine. No uterus, no opinion, no abortion is what the end of that motto should be. My final rebuttal for this argument is what about the females who disagree with you? So this is the flip side of the argument. Um, if you're saying no uterus, no opinion... You, you're saying you're singling out men, and in your mind you're singling out probably white heterosexual men, because that's everybody who disagrees with you as a leftist uh, is just a white male. That's it. Um, what they don't consider is that there are some women, actually millions of women, who disagree with them. The majority of the pro-life movement is actually made up of women. So my opinion can be invalid as a man, fine. But what about the governor of Alabama? She's a female. She's pro-life. So I guess her opinion is a little bit more valid then. So go listen to her. Stop using this flawed, childish, ignorant, sexist argument and go listen to the governor of Alabama, who's a female, I should say, whose opinion is valid, and actually uh, read these laws that are going to be pushed out uh, or signed into, uh, into, signed into law, these bills that are going to be signed into law 
Um, I will say almost nobody actually reads the bill. And so when you hear these, these false... Uh, these falsities and these lies that come about from it, such as these uh, women will be jailed, women can serve up to 10 years, uh, women leaving the state can be jailed. Um, nowhere in these bills does it actually call for the arrest of the mother. It, it says um, it targets people who perform the abortion, so that would be the doctors. So there are four main points I would like to address about abortion uh, to really establish my argument. I start at definitions. I started with that motto just to get that out of the way. That's something I've been I've been seeing too much of, and I was really excited to um, to address that. So moving into the argument, uh, here are the definitions. As my my listeners, you know that I'm a big fan of going into the definitions and actually establishing that before moving into the argument. I think that's crucial in any argument. Uh, my first point is um, is the definition for life. What does that mean? Uh, if you are talking to a uh, an advocate for pro-choice, you're probably going to land on this topic at some point, and you've probably actually noticed that they might not have an answer. Most of them don't. They don't really care to acknowledge when the life starts. All they care about is is the convenience of abortion. They don't want to give that up because to them, all abortion is is just another form of, of a contraceptive. That's it. Yeah, you, you, you maybe had a little bit too much to drink at prom, and then you find out you're pregnant. You, you can't be a teen mom. Come on. I mean, the, the best form of a contraception is, is, was gone. That You're already pregnant. That is the consequence. And so this is just another form of getting out of personal responsibility, uh, and, and that is called abortion. Getting back on track, um, I often ask you know people what constitutes a life uh, and i think using a process of elimination can be very useful here um so what constitutes a life well then uh, the typical response i've come across is consciousness you know well you know a, a, a fetus when you kill a fetus they, they don't have a conscience they don't have you know everything that people have so that's my argument yeah, that's what they'll tell you is they just need a conscience um, so then I apply this to other examples. <laughs> Essentially, by their definition for what a person is, if someone is not conscience, uh, conscious, they can be killed legally without repercussion. People who are asleep, people who are in comas, or who have fainted, by this standard, they're not people. They've actually ceased to be alive. Uh, obviously, by process of elimination, we can rule this one out. Unless you support the murder of sleeping humans, that is another topic for another day that I, I actually don't want to talk about, because um, that probably means you're statistic. Another answer to what makes a person or what makes a life I've come across is viability. Uh, the exact definition for viability is the ability to work successfully, or in the case as it is relevant to abortion, uh, the ability to survive and live successfully. Once again, we have to apply the standard across the board and ask who would be at risk for abortion. As an unviable being, <clears throat> note, they would not be considered a person due to their being unviable. So if you're arguing from the pro-choice side, these people I'm about to mention wouldn't be considered a person if you're going to apply this standard. Uh, so premature babies, they're not viable. Children up to really their teenage years, if we're being honest, not viable. And if we're being uh, completely honest, really children up to the age of maybe six. There's some leeway there. But certainly children, at, at a certain point, are not viable. 
handicapped people, and of course the unborn child. So all of these people are not people in some people's eyes, which I find ridiculous. So once again, I would argue by process of elimination, this argument is not valid because once you apply the standard, you actually find that there are more people who would be able or eligible to be killed, to be aborted. And it's scary that you can actually put in the word abortion for killed. It suddenly sounds like it's just a medical mishap. That's just scary to me because we've we've grown so numb to the word abort and abortion and aborted that what we're really looking over is that that's just another word for terminated. That's just another word for killed. We as a nation have trained ourselves to think of it differently because it's not the word murder or murdered or killed or eliminated or terminated. We've trained ourselves to think this way. And and for the pro-choice side, it's actually it's a way of thinking. You have people actually advocating that abortion is a good thing. Exercising your right to abort is a good thing. Oof. At the end of the day, it's simply a synonym for killing. Essentially, if it can be also applied to other people outside the womb, then it's not a good argument for killing a child inside the womb. And if you're one of these those people who say that location determines the life of a person, I would say that termination of a nine-month-old is a, is a termination of a heartbeat, brain activity, nerve senses, and much more. Actually, the termination of an 18-week-old fetus is a termination of a, a being that's developed its own distinct pattern of DNA, its own set of chromosomes, which both happen at conception. This destroys the, well, the fetus is just a part of the mother argument as well. When you think about it, and I know you've probably, everyone's heard this argument, it's a part of the mother it's just a part of the mother. The mother can do whatever she wants with her own body, and I agree with that initial statement. Yes, the mother, just as us humans, everyone else, should be able to decide what we want to do with our own bodies to a certain point. When you look at it biblically, uh, there are some, some biblical rules, I would say, and aspects uh, to which we should be exercising um, self-discipline, self-control, um, and, and things like that. But largely... It, in terms of government, um, and really anybody else, yes, you should be able to decide what to do with your own body. But the fetus is not a part of the mother's body. Where's the proof in that? Well, if, if the mother can provide uh, another part of her body that has its own distinct DNA and its own set of chromosomes, then I'll jump ship on the pro-life side. I'll say, hey, okay, she's got other body parts that are actually their own body parts. See, that doesn't make sense to me. When you say that it's a part of the mother, it's just the mother's body part, well, several things flood into my head. How come it has its own DNA? And why don't other non-pregnant women have this body part? This is so weird. And really, after nine months of having this body part, you suddenly birth it into its own being. And so that's actually more miraculous when you think about it. Women have, I guess, trained their bodies into forming an entirely new human. Because, by the way, men can't be involved in the uh, act of procreation. It's only women. That's why, you know, men can't have a say. But women can create a human after nine months of, I guess, forming their own body part. And voila, you have a, a separate human at birth. Like, they didn't exist before that. They just kind of came into existence. Nobody knows how. They came into existence at birth. Wow. That blows my mind. Actually, when you look at the reality of it, a man and a woman 
procreate, creating at conception a separate life, which grows into a newborn, which then grows into a child, which then grows into a teenager, which then grows into an adult, which then grows into an old person, which presumably then dies. This is the continuum of life. And so the argument of, well, if we're going to tell women uh, that they can't have abortions, we have to tell men that uh, they can't have vasectomies. I want to address this point because I heard this. <laughs> I've been hearing this uh, a lot as well. If you're telling women, so just, just to get this straight because I'm looking at it right now, if you're telling women that they cannot have abortions, we have to tell men that they cannot have vasectomies because uh, ultimately that would be creating a life. The issue with this, okay, is that when the sperm fertilizes the egg, that is when you get the DNA and the chromosomes and the embryo. If a man wants to get a vasectomy, that's actually not ending any form of life. And so that is a flawed argument as well. Because actually when you look at it, the flip side of a vasectomy is when a woman gets her tubes tied. And that is perfectly legal. Nobody's disputing that. And so they jump right over that and they're trying to equate... Uh, <laughs> abortion with vasectomies and it doesn't fit they're taking two puzzle pieces and jamming it together and you know you know why it doesn't fit is because there's only there's a unique situation that is uh that is pregnancy and the reason that is unique is because god created it that way men don't get pregnant women do men do not carry the child women do and no if you are a transgender uh, woman or a transgender man if you are a woman who quote unquote transgendered into a man you are still a woman and so yes you could still get pregnant it's not a miracle that if you were a woman and you have the biology of a woman and you get pregnant that is not a miracle that needs to end that delusion needs to stop because that's exactly what it is you're pretending to be something you're not that was discussed in episode one. Moving on with this abortion argument. to I guess to my second second half of this episode. Um, I'm going to get into, you know, after, after I just established those, you know, the definitions and, and how to apply those. Uh, I guess at the very least, the pro-life movement should be recognized for uh, having a pro-life view as opposed to an anti-choice view. Uh, which is going to lead into my second point, which is rhetoric and the reality of viewpoints. Um, so the media has successfully convinced approximately half of the United States to believe that pro-lifers actually want to take away women's rights to their bodies. This could not be further from the truth. The argument, as I've stated before, is that women, when pregnant, actually create a new body within their own. Thus, the argument isn't forcing women to do what they don't want to do, but rather making sure women don't commit an act of violence against a defense, uh, defenseless human. The media also doesn't refer to pro-lifers as pro-life, but actually as anti-choice. This is false. I would consider myself to be pro-choice and pro-life. Women have four choices when it comes to pregnancy. And actually, I just want to go back and hit that one point that I just said. As a libertarian, this is where the Libertarian Party is split. You have one half saying, you know, nobody should be telling, you know, the other person what to do because that violates uh, their rights. And I'm over here thinking... Well, we shouldn't be committing an act of violence on an unborn child because that's violating their rights. So I just wanted to hit that real quick. Just because you are pro-life does not mean that you are not a libertarian. You can be both. Uh, but women have four choices when it comes to pregnancy. 
Number one, adoption. Number two, contraceptives. Number three, abstinence. And number four, motherhood. So I guess uh, the third one, abstinence, you can't really apply to pregnancy. Uh, but all women before pregnancy have that choice. Now, this is uh, with the exception of rape and incest, which I will cover later. But let's look at these four choices again. Adoption, contraceptives, abstinence, and motherhood. All of these options result in the saving of lives, and three of them result in the mother not having to parent the child. So why... Is, why are these seen as not legitimate options for the women? Like I stated at the beginning of this episode, it's about convenience. Uh, number three, abstinence. Okay, well, that's out the window. They can't choose that now. They're pregnant. Number two, contraceptives. Again, out the window. It's too late. They're pregnant. Number one, adoption. Wait, number one, adoption. Why can't these mothers carry the baby to term and put the baby up for adoption? Wouldn't that seem like the best case scenario? Everybody lives, right? And the, she doesn't end up being the mother. I wouldn't strongly push this issue, but I would in contrast to abortion. And so abortion, as I said, is a very convenient form of birth control because it acts as a post-pregnancy birth control. Uh, and that is, that is something that the left is not willing to give up. Because they don't see it as murder, they see it as abortion, which is simply ending the life of a non-living thing. Which, if you heard what I just said, ending the life of a non-living thing makes sense to them, it doesn't make sense to me. Because that thing is living. And I've actually run into several cases where I've gotten them to admit that, yeah, they believe that the fetus is living, they just don't care. And I'm actually, I, I, I've felt sick before at what some of these people have, have stated. Again, they're not all the same. I'm not trying to, to separate ourselves. We are all sinners. What I am trying to do is establish that there is one way to look at abortion and there's another way to look at abortion, primarily. Um, this leads to my third point, uh, which is the cold, hard facts. So I said earlier that we're going to talk about abortion, I'm sorry, uh, about rape and incest. I'm doing that now when it comes to rape and incest, which is at the forefront of the abortion argument, they actually make up less than 2% of all abortions. And I think right now it's actually even less than 1%, but uh, let's, let's take 2%, meaning most abortions are due to either convenience or medical issues. And we actually know the, the majority of abortions are due to convenience because the culture has glorified and accepted sex and the flamboyance of sex instead of sticking to traditional values and starting in the homes with parents teaching their children that the only time to have sex is inside of a marital institution. The facts support this, by the way. In terms of, a, of poverty, according to a study from Robert Rector of Heritage.org, percentage of childbearing outside of wedlock rose to a whopping 40% from 1929 to 2010. Coincidentally, the rate of children growing up in poverty increased at a nearly identical rate in the same time. There are three general rules to stick to if you want to avoid almost certain poverty. Number one, graduate high school. Number two, have a job. And number three, don't have children before marriage. So actually, I want to cover the, the, the aspect of rape and incest a little bit more. I feel like I kind of glossed over that. Uh, like I said, they make up less than 2% of all abortions, but that doesn't mean we should ignore them at all. We should address them as, as actually a priority. Uh, some people say that if you're pro-life, you're actually pro-rape. I don't see that. I don't understand that. No, I, I want the rapist caught, and I actually want them castrated. I would say that I actually argue for a harsher punishment 
on the rapist than the average leftist. That's neither here nor there. My point being that when a girl gets pregnant because of rape, that doesn't that doesn't change the fact right getting an abortion doesn't change the fact that she was raped. Giving birth to that child doesn't mean that she is going to live with that trauma or not live with that trauma. That is on a case-to-case uh, basis. But what I am saying is that eliminating that child's life is not going to change the fact that she was raped, which was terrible. Nobody's saying it was good. This is what leftists need to hear. We're not arguing that that, that is good. And they, they primarily say, why would you force a woman to carry a child that is just going to put her through further trauma. Well, first of all, that child had nothing to do with her getting in that situation. That child is is innocent. It's done nothing. And there have been cases, many cases, where a child has been born out of rape, and they've gone on to do extraordinary things. They've gone on to lead very happy lives. I just saw a Facebook post the other day. This woman shared a, a heartwarming story about her son, who she loves more than anything in the world. And he was conceived out of rape. And he's a beautiful little boy. His kid, he had a, you know, he lights his mom's world up. You know, I think that is amazing. Because that shows not only how God can take a bad situation and turn it into a good situation for his glory, but that shows that that is the love of God displayed. What are the ways it's displayed, I would say? Because the mother chose to love that child. Because love is a choice. And so that mother chose to love that child and to nurture it and to raise it. So, I mean, that that's my interpretation, I guess. My opinion, my valid opinion <laughs> or invalid opinion, depending on who you are, um, on the uh, the rape and incest argument of abortion. But like I was saying, um, if you stick to three general rules, uh, graduate high school, get a job, and don't have kids before marriage, chances are you're not going to be in poverty. That's just, statistically, that's what that shows. However, teens are getting pregnant. The guys getting these girls pregnant aren't committing because they're 17, 18, 19-year-olds who only have sex on the mind, not commitment or fatherhood. This leaves the girl with a very difficult choice, but ultimately she is also responsible for the pregnancy. Consensual sex has consequences. There are risks involved, and much of the time a child is one of those risks, but it's only a risk because that is the potential product of sex outside of marriage. I want to say that again. It's only a risk when you are having sex outside of marriage. Because when you're having sex inside of marriage, inside of the blessed uh, institution that God has ordained for that act to be appropriate, children are a blessing. Now, I want to be very clear. Children are blessings, period. Okay? A, a child conceived, like I just talked about, a child conceived out of rape is uh, can be a blessing. A child conceived out of wedlock can be a blessing. A child conceived in marriage is a blessing. Right? So children are blessings. But... When uh, it's not a consequence when it's inside of marriage. And so the rate of abortion would drop drastically when you look at, the, uh, at where this starts. And it starts with people who are being irresponsible. 
and not not bucking up to their consequences, not taking on the responsibility, which leads to mass abortion. Um, and so it's it's at that point it ceases to be women's choice, and it actually becomes an issue of responsibility. Um, obviously, I'm not saying, like I said, you know, children are, are blessings. I really hope you guys didn't interpret that to be to, for me saying children are only blessings inside of marriage. That is not what I said, nor is that what I intended. Um, just know that God works all things for good. So putting your faith in him and your trust in him can, can, can really change your life. So, so moving on. You know, the biblical thing to do is, is practice self-control until marriage. Uh, but we do know that God is also a forgiving God, and your mistakes can be turned to blessings. That's all I was really trying to say. Um, our, our culture is so messed up. Um, moving on to statistics as a part of the Cold Hard Facts segment. Um, about 15,000 abortions are attributed to rape and incest, representing 1.5% of all abortions. So it's a little less than 2%. Um... This leads me back to the four choices, now the three a woman has in this case. There will always be an alternative to abortion so long as there is the uh, so long as there is the heartbeat bill is a step in the right direction. So I'm going to get into that maybe next week, maybe the week after that. That's still uh, to be determined. Um, one more thing I want to talk about is this, uh, is this guy, Brian Sims. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Brian Sims is a Democratic uh, member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives in the 182nd di- District. He has recently been harassing people who have been praying outside of Planned Parenthoods in Pennsylvania. Here are some of his quotes while he was filming pro- protest, uh, protesters. It is also important to remember that uh, he he was harassing elderly women, children, uh, women of all ages. Uh, so here's a quote of his. Quote, today's protester, now she is an old white lady who's going to try to avoid showing you her face, but the same law, luckily, that protests uh, protects her from being out here uh, that protects her for being out here also protects me from showing you who she is, end quote. Um, so interesting why he singled out that she was white. I, I don't understand the, uh, the attack on, on white people nowadays. Here's another quote. Quote, we can talk about your Christian faith, about how your Christian faith believes in shaming people, end quote. After shouting, quote, shame on you, end quote, to her a total of 12 times throughout his tirade, so his solution to counteract the shaming is to shame. This is like getting onto people about cussing people out by cussing them out. It's the height of hypocrisy, which isn't new to the Democratic Party or to the human race. We all do it, but it is very prominent who argue based on an emotional standpoint. And the final quote I have for you is, uh, quote, and, and so my hope is that you will donate $100 for every extra hour that this woman is out here telling people what's right for their bodies, end quote. Uh, he continued to say this for an additional nine minutes while harassing her, and, and I believe, I could be wrong, but I, I believe that was a, a younger girl. He, at one point, uh, <laughs> was harassing uh, a younger guy, and I gotta commend the guy. He was very stoic, he, he was very respectful and nice, and he, he answered Mr. Sims' questions very, very honestly and respectfully, and I got nothing but respect for that kid. Um, it's people like this who think they're being noble and just and heroic by shouting down the opinions of others, but it's behaviors like this that ironically suggest a more fascist and Nazi-type approach. Basically, their opinions are so right that they cannot tolerate debate or opinions of any other kind. I honestly just... I don't know, this whole abortion thing gets at me because I see it very clearly. 
the fetus is a living thing. It has characteristics for life. It has separate DNA, separate, you know, distinct chromosomes. I I see it no other way. That's why I get so hyped up about it. Obviously, I understand that this is a very polarizing issue. So again, you know, as I said at the beginning, if you disagree with me or if you just want to chit-chat, I'm good for either. Please contact me at thenewthoughtproject at gmail.com and uh, we can have hopefully a very civil debate uh, or discussion there. And uh, again, if you guys enjoyed this episode, please let me know and then hopefully I can get a guest on the show for the, uh, for the next segment of abortion. And uh, hopefully it'll be somebody that disagrees with me so I can give them that platform to really just talk about what they what they believe. I would really enjoy that. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Benjamin Tankersley, and this is the New Thought Project.